I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 272nd installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new. Tonight, we are discussing Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episodes 19 through 26. So everything from Acquisition, the controversial Ferengi episode, you know, Ferengis in the 22nd century hanging out with humans, oh my, uh, all the way from that up to the season one finale, Shockwave. And I'm discussing these with Dave, who uh, has uh, only just now revisited uh, these these early Enterprise episodes after, after seeing them many, many years ago. Right, and the tail end is particularly hazy. Uh, I'm sure that and the first few of, or, the, or whatever I watched of season two are going to be hazy as well. Yeah, so it'll be fun to uh, dis- discuss this. There's some uh, some interesting things that happen at the end of season one. So some stuff that I I, I feel like I've I've looked at some stuff here in in new light. Despite me, you know, I've I've been rewatching these constantly for twenty years. Like every well, it's, episode uh, you know, of Star Trek, but we're t- it's probably the first time you've ever taken some notes on them. I imagine, and and then felt like, well, I'm going to be discussing this. What am I? What do right. I really think about it? It is. I've 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 watched uh, I've watched Enterprise with a partner I lived with and with a roommate I lived with, um, but other than that, I really have never discussed the show in this level of detail. So it it is fun to do. Before we get into that, just a little bit of housekeeping. I want to give a big thank you and shout out to the lovely Text Trek Patreon supporters who make the weekly live show possible. So uh, thank you so much, Starfleet Sohel, Kick is Eternal, Crazy Dutchy, Joanne Robertson, John Daw, Geek Filter, Earl Grey Trekkie, Quark Spar, Stephanie Durantas, Braxton, Chuck A, and our anonymous supporters. Uh, we do like to celebrate with a monthly watch party, so we just had a, a fun one a few days ago. We watched the uh, the DS9 episode, Visitor. It was, it was a special occasion. We did a, a double feature. We did The Visitor, and then we did... The Strange New Worlds episode, All Those Who Wonder, with Mbenga I'm, I'm and I'm laughing because this is some heavy episodes. Uh, both of them, both of them are very intense episodes, but, but that was cool. Like, I, I feel like we kind of tend towards the lighter side of things with the watch-alongs, and I think that's cool, but this was a nice change-up. Well, our next one will be February 17th. And I, I, I don't know, I like to do like the romantic-y type episodes in, in February yeah, yeah. For, for Valentine's Day. absolutely has some options there. Yeah, uh, I, I'd be curious if anyone has any suggestions, but uh, I, I have one I'd like to, to throw out there, and that'd be the, um, what, someone to watch over me? Is that the, the, the Voyager that? episode where the doctor teaches Seven how to date, and in so doing, discovers the feelings he has for her. It's That sounds it's fun. A, it's a great episode. Yeah, it's, it's really good, I think. And I, I, I tend to not, you know, gravitate to like the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the more like, 
romance stories. So uh, the, the the quality of that one, I think, will just win over a lot of people. But we we can discuss that more in, in the future. For sure, for sure. Uh, there, there's not really uh, much news beyond uh, two items. One Enterprise-related. Uh, I'll save that for a second. The, the first one, just real quick. Uh, the Skydance dude, David Ellison, uh, his his company Skydance lo- looks like they're moving forward with uh, their attempt to gain control of Paramount Global. Right. That that seems to be much more likely now than the possible merger with Discovery Warner. Uh, that that deal does not seem to be moving forward, but this one does. So, or at least at least talks or whatever whatever is in the works. But uh, he would he basically be gaining control of Paramount Global and with with a focus on on making movies and TV shows. And Skydance they do a lot of a lot of work with Paramount now. They uh, help finance the 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 Kelvin Star Trek movies and like the Mission Impossible movies and the Transformer movies, like a lot of the stuff that uh, Mission Impossible, you know, all that stuff. So I, I, they might have a hand in Top Gun. I, I, I don't know, but they're they're going to be wanting to make more content. He he has an interest in TV as well. So I, I think they're they're probably going to be you know pushing for things like more Star Trek movies and and Star Trek TV shows to continue. So that's good. That's broadly good. Yeah, just uh, the the ownership changing hands yet again, as it's continued to do from uh, from the very beginning when it was uh, when it was Desi and Lucy who owned it at the day one, and it's just a little nerve wracking until things tumble out. Yeah, um, that seems to be the, everything. Uh, <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, that's just this is things that people say when they have anxiety. Everything's terrified. It's like, is that is that reality or is that just like chemicals in my brain or both? Well, I don't know. you know, like it's 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 been nice to you like. It's definitely different than the broad stability that we've had for the last what five six years or whatever. Yeah, it really hasn't been stable in a in a hot minute. Okay. So, oh okay, you're you're more aware of the behind the scenes stuff than I am. Uh, I'd say it's been pretty like unstable since uh, like 2002, since these episodes of Enterprise aired. So, well, all streaming TV and you know and everything that that's related to is is definitely been in flux for some time and feels like it's particularly in flux now. So, all that out of the way, the the other item, uh, Gary Graham, our Saval actor, who we won't discuss the the character Saval. I guess he's mentioned. Uh, but not he doesn't appear in any of these episodes that we're talking oh, that's about. That's true. That's true. He's he's in the next one. He's in the first episode of season two. But uh, uh, Gary Graham passed away this week. Never, I never met him. I, I did see him at conventions. Uh, he is also, I guess, well known for like his his Enterprise Blues band. He did like some some musical hmm. things. So if you watch uh, Shuttlepod or listen to the Shuttlepod show, Dominic Keating and Connor Trenier's podcast, they have Gary Graham's, uh, one of his songs is like their theme song. Um, it was uh, it was also like the lead on that Alien Nation TV yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, he was in the Alien Nation show. So, Basically playing was... the James Conn part. I-, I gather, and you know, I don't think we want to divert into this, but like he was kind of a little like James Conn's character in real life. <laughs> but... Uh, I will say a, a talented actor, and and I actually I really like his portrayal of Saval. And uh, uh, Vulcans are not easy to to pin down. Uh, it's weird, and I have a few thoughts on that regarding uh, to Paul later on in this in our discussion today. Um, but um, but yeah, one less Vulcan. But with uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get started, Dave. Let's uh, let's talk about yeah, some uh, some wacky Ferengis. Yes, so. Hashtag everybody loves Ferengis, right? Uh, but I don't I know why I, try, I want to make that a hashtag, but <laughs> I don't know. I want that to be hashtag everybody loves somebody. But uh, <laughs> on on YouTube, I, I put little hashtags. I don't know if anyone ever pays attention to them. 
Oh, do I want to give this away? I guess I already brought it up. But our Enterprise, uh, the series of discussions we've been doing, if you watch this on YouTube, the, the I think the first one had a hashtag, everybody loves Shran, and then the second one had a hashtag, everybody still loves Shran, because we talked about him the last two weeks straight, and there's no Shran to talk about this week, Dave, but we do still have Jeffrey Combs and Ferengi uh, for Right, right, yes. So, uh, but yeah, this first episode, Acquisition, teleplay by Maria Yakometan and Andre Yakometan, story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, directed by James Whitmore Jr., a group of interstellar thieves stun the Enterprise crew and begin looting the ship. Trip Tucker is the only one left to stop them, but can he do this in his underwear? <laughs> There's, they get in their underwear quite a bit in this, in their blue underwear. Yeah, uh, like... If I ask someone, hey, what does the underwear, like the standard issue underwear, look like in the original series or Deep Space Nine or Discovery? No one can tell me, but everyone knows the the blue undies on Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. It's a good look. Those, and those actors, those actors did it worked out, I can tell. Well, yeah, it was an important part of the of the show's identity to, to show a lot of uh, sexy people on a starship. But uh, the, this episode ruffled a ton of feathers in 2002. Uh, just hearing about it before they they did it, you know, one of the big things they were promising us was like, oh, we're going to do 22nd century stories, the stories that we couldn't do in the other shows because the technology is too advanced or whatever. We're going to tell stories you could only do here. And <laughs> a lot of the tropes that you're tired of seeing, we're not going to we're not going to have those anymore. And I'm not I've always been a Ferengi episode apologist. I, I love the Ferengi episodes. I, I heap tons of praise on many of them when Dave and I covered DS9 and I'll stand by many of them I think I think a lot of them are great but th- there was a big hatred of like Ferengi episodes in the fandom in 2002 and that it was just like oh the people were sick of seeing the Ferengi on DS9 so the fact that Enterprise had to return to that well immediately in season one it, it did not boost your confidence in, in the show <laughs> You know, this far removed from it, um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel controversial to me. I, of course, know the show does a little of what I think of as kind of the Smallville stuff is, you know, they sneak in early glimpses of lots of things that become core to the, to the lore later on, you know, oh, you know, and, and there's phase cannons will become phasers and shuttle pots will become shuttles and, uh, and all of that stuff. Um, so, and, and, you know, I at least was vaguely aware of this even at the time. And I probably thought, you know, I probably did think it was, uh, too soon to go back to that well. But Trek, honestly, nostalgia is part of Trek. It's, it's, it's at least, the, you know, the shared world thing is, is kind of something that shows up in all of them. And sometimes they push it a little bit. Uh, at least it's like not everybody is related, like in Star Wars, <laughs> you know. They, they maybe stretch that a little bit in some of the Kelvin movies. Um, but, you know, my, my general thoughts were, are, you know, I, I I'm not worried about the controversy side of it. That doesn't impact me much at all, at least in the present. Uh, and I thought this was a solidly fun episode that, you know, of what, uh, the Ferengi versus the three person diehard team running around the ships, uh, trying to figure out how to fight them without weapons. I don't think it's a good episode. I, I, and I think it was a big mistake to, to just be like, oh, they just bump into Ferengi, even because the next generation made such a big deal out of no one's ever met the Ferengi. 
And th- I know, like, real first contact with the Ferengi happened in 1947 in Roswell, but <laughs> but it's just like I I wish they had like attempted to just have like some explanation of of why I don't know Archer doesn't find out they're called Ferengi. Like I get like he asked them at the very beginning, like who are you? And Ethan Phillips Neelix plays the the leader Ferengi Ulysses, and he's like ah don't worry about it. But it's just I I wish like at some point like Archer's such like a curious explorer. I can't remember him like like not asking again at some point. But I I've heard a suggestion that they should have had the Ferengi say they don't want to they don't want to like leave their name they don't want to leave their ID so they should have just been like oh we're the Bolians or oh we're the just insert other start we're yeah, the Tellerites or some like, other tried, race tried to throw some other race under the bus yeah so I'm just gonna head cannon that that happened off screen because I love that idea so much you know they don't uh, this would of course not really be the case that they would be going into so many of these first contacts and planet side meetings and stuff like that with really no strong directives to guide them, you know. Oh, they, don't know. They, they, he just didn't. He just didn't write it down. He didn't jot it down. He right, didn't, he right. Didn't dot so, the eyes and cross the t's. Well, I'm saying that that this this really stretches that though. Yeah. Because to Paul engaged with them, and like the Vulcans know about the Ferengi, right? Didn't no. that come up in another episode? Yeah, they were like, "Have you ever heard of them?" And she said, "No." Oh, okay. I you know I thought that that was one of those things where we were almost. Uh, to just meant to assume she was doing a little Vulcan duplicity and just didn't want to... Well, in- Enterprise Vulcan duplicity. Yeah. That was another thing, because people were pissed off the Vulcans have a reputation for dishonesty. So there was just a lot a lot of feathers being being ruffled with this this fir- first season. But I, like you, Dave, like I do have fun with this episode. It's one I look forward to rewatching, but I don't. I don't think it's good. I I can't give them. A, I can't give them a, this, the fathery seal of approval. You know, but I, I do think, enjoy it. I think it is a conventional portrayal of Ferengi. Really, pretty obvious jokes. They're stealing everything. They backstab each other. But along the way, uh, I had I had enough fun to say that I think it's a, I think it's a good episode. I would give it a light recommendation. Um, I recommend it if you're fans of the Ferengi because I think the Ferengi actors are so good at it. Because I, I mean, like they really they brought in like I guess like a list for they they were desperate. The the show was had been tanking in ratings at this point, um, like catastrophically. It started off with uh, 10, 10 million eyes on the pilot. And by this point, they were, I, I think they were getting less than 3 million an episode before the end of season one. Wow. So, w- which was uh, an insane drop and would, uh, you know, a lot of shows that would be a death sentence because Star Trek as a history is like a big syndication property. I think that helped it get renewed for four seasons just so that it could be sold as a syndication thing after that. You know, get us a hundred episodes so we can sell you off into right. syndication and pimp you out indefinitely. Uh, back when people thought syndicated TV was, you know, the business model of the future before streaming. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but that even translates, you know, like streaming rights and everything. But, but yeah, I mean, like, like they were really desperate to do anything to try to get like attention on Enterprise. And and here, the, these these last eight episodes of season one, you know, we kind of see some gimmicky stuff. We see like some some big, I don't know, stunt episodes we can call, it, but like this, like we're gonna bring back Neelix. And Brunt and uh, Clint Howard and uh, some other guy is a the purple shirt guy. I don't know the actor, but he's a good Ferengi. But I mean, like the other ones were all kind of you know like Star Trek veterans. If people were kind of not really super into Ferengi, why would they think that would goose the ratings? Just pure <laughs> nostalgia, or did I, the, is that typical of their? I think it's because like they, it was like an easy episode to write. I think it was just like oh, this is easy. You know, with the this, the look of this alien is is approved. We don't have to. You know, we don't have to like go to the drawing board with like trying to develop like a new culture, a new makeup design. Does the studio like that makeup? Does the network like that makeup? They're like, oh, it's like, no, like, okay, the Ferengi work. We know how to write Ferengi jokes. Let's just do the Ferengi. 
the uh, and, and and that probably explains why they're so kind of conventionally written is that they were there to be nostalgic and not really you know because somebody had a great idea. Now that said, I, I want to give a compliment on a few things. I actually really loved that Archer did a little bit of old fashioned what I think of as Kirk, you know, slyness and stuff. I love that they're looking for the the ship's vault. Yeah, and that made me laugh. And when he starts bargaining with them, when he leans into it, and he's like, "Okay, I, I've got the inklings of how to play these guys." Uh, and he's, he's, uh, th- that stuff cracked me up. Archer's smart. And that's something I want to praise these, these last eight episodes on is, is that Archer is like very naive and trusting and, uh, he, he might come off as like a little dumb if he stayed that way the entire show. But after about half the season, he does, you know, start to, to pick up on stuff. And, and, and we, we've seen that, I think in a lot of, of season one where he, I don't there there's a bit of um if they hadn't done that I think we would have been like man this guy is just like an idiot like he he just sucks like, he can't even handle like a ship full of Ferengi you right, know Right right I think along with the ship being you know really needing a lot of upgrades and work to get where they want it it would feel like too like they would feel too lame honestly they would It's it's risky you know when you're doing doing like those early episodes or like you know they can't even shoot their torpedoes straight and stuff like that it's risky doing that if you never have like a payoff to it Yeah but I feel like even within the season, like, you know, like, Archer has evolved and has become a bit more sly. He's honestly just more experienced at dealing with stuff. He was a little wide-eyed and naive when he went out. And, you know, to Paul has corrected him. Reality has corrected him. Incidentally, Jill mentioned that this is a kind of a slow-going episode. And I will say, although I kind of liked the way it begins in media res and the, there it's untranslated for a while. Yeah. Uh, they spend a lot of time with Ferengi just looting. And it's not... It's not, I mean, we know, we get the idea pretty quick, so they didn't really need to spend that much time. It's really silly stuff, like, they, they, they just throw, like, an entire pie into a bag, and, like, the stuff that they're stealing, it's like, okay, we came here to get torpedoes and Travis's chair. And they're stealing beakers and stuff. And a dog, put a do- put the dog in the... I it's mean, funny I think me that's when... funny, though. I think that's yeah, funny. When when Clint Howard is, is like, uh, trying to explain to the guy in the purple shirt, yeah, uh, the the Ferengi is uh, Grish, but I don't I don't know the actor. But uh, uh, Clint Howard is uh, Muck, I think. He's 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 like, oh, it's a lower life form. So whenever my dog, you know, aggravates me or something, <laughs> I, I'm making fun of him. I I tell him like, oh, you're just a lower life form. What what do you know? This type of arguments I have with my dog. <laughs> also, in the comments, uh, Joel mentioned uh, that they use the Ferengi whip. Much better this time. And I was, I honestly, I love I, that. Oh, I so love cool. that moment. That's whenever I watch this episode, I look forward to seeing Ethan Phillips whip Connor Trenier with the Ferengi <laughs> energy. Just whenever people are like talking shit about Neelix and people are like the, the Neelix haters, you're like, Oh, I can't stand Neelix. Such a terrible character on Voyager. I want to send Ethan Phillips in Ferengi form with the energy whip, like after the Neelix haters. Like, <laughs> do you, like, do you, do you still think I suck now? And yeah. Yeah, that had to be fun for him. And by the way, he looks kind of cool. Like, their their Ferengi looks were pretty solid. Everybody looked different enough to, you know, differentiate him. And he had a cool kind of, you know, coat rolling, he, he was rolling with. And, and he played a Ferengi in, in Next Generation. Yeah. And Menage a Troy tried to abduct uh, Counselor Troy and her mom. And Picard did, like, this Shakespeare pose where he, like, he stuck his arm out and it got made into a meme. Oh, that's, uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought that the uh, uh, Archer's comment uh, on uh, when he's hearing the rules of acquisition, uh, and he says, uh, he's like, back on my home world, that kind of thinking almost destroyed our civilization. 
It's a, it's a pretty harsh, uh, like, uh, side uh, side eye to capitalism. Uh, with a funny response from the guy saying you should have managed your business better. Oh, and I like that they d- they don't have, like, all the rules yet. Like, some of them... Yeah, I forgot there's how not many... as many. Yeah, they, there was, like, a different... I forgot the exact numbers, but... I think I saw some note about it, and it's, like, there's, like, 80 or something that are added by the time that they're talking about it in <laughs> TNG, or 60, or... Like, it's a pretty big number. I'm sure every time there's, like, a new expan- expansion pack, you have to, like, pay for it, too. <laughs> like, to, get, to learn, like, if you want to get access oh, yeah. to the new rules first, you know, you have to yeah. pay for microtransactions. That, but... You don't even get them all. You get them individually. <laughs> I guess I just, as someone who, like, really loves the sets of Star Trek Enterprise, I, I think, oh, we get to see them, like, walk around these beautiful sets a lot. But, I mean, you kind of get a little bit of that in every episode. I don't, I think, I think Trip and, and Archer, when when they're kind of coming up with, like, the, the ruse on the fly with, like, uh, oh, my wife, Hoshi. Like, like oh, your wife is only worth 10 bars, but I'll give you 12. And, and okay, 15. And, like, I don't know, and they start fighting and all of that stuff. I like that. It's kind of like in the Endorian incident when they have that shorthand where they can kind of, uh, just kind of slip into deception mode, and, and right. like they, they, they'll. It's like they can do like improv together. It's like they can yes and they can yes and their their way yep. to trick their their enemies. Right, they're pretty good um, at that stuff. Not as slow as uh, Spock was in a piece of the action. Right, <laughs> Father. Let me go, uh, just mention one or two things real quick. Sure. Uh, one, I, I kind of like that they goofed around a little bit about the decontamination chamber, where uh, they're, they're they're starting to have a little bit of fun with it. I think uh, knowing that. Maybe knowing that it was a little bit of the butt of some jokes, um, I uh, I liked um, uh, to Paul got like a triple phase pistol takedown, which was pretty cool. And I also thought that it was fun that she got to be a little mischievous when about like letting Archer out of his uh, out of his cuffs or whatever. That that oh, that, yeah. fe- that felt like a, like a TOS ending or something that would have had that quirky music. The she also had that funny moment with Trip when she wakes up and she she sees him standing in his underwear over all the knocked out women. <laughs> right. And he's like, "It's not what it looks like." Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's uh, all my rando comments. Let's let's move on. Cool. Well, if uh, you had fun seeing uh, Neelix, uh, let's uh, let's visit Odo in. Oasis, teleplay by Stephen Beck, story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and Stephen Beck, directed by James Charleston, the crew finds a derelict spaceship from which they can salvage some supplies. Only they find that the ship is not quite as deserted as they were led to believe. Father, that still frame you have of the uh, traitor guy from the beginning oh, yeah. uh, is, is really, like, it looks really good. Even though, I mean, it's, obvious, it's obviously I, a guy in makeup, but it's nice I makeup. hate his name. I hate his name because it's, it's D apostrophe M-A-R-R, and, and you say it like Damar, but it, it's it's hard to... He ain't no Damar. Distinguish that from... DS9. DS9. D-A-M-A-R Damar. Yeah. Well, the difference is this guy, uh, what's the drink? Canar? Yeah, he's drinking tea instead. This is a, d- d- a dinar without canar. Just... That's what we should have named our podcast as uh, Drinking Iced Tea with Archer. <laughs> Archer's Iced Tea in chat. That's what I'm going to come up with, Archer's Iced Tea. Uh, we assume he's drinking sweet tea, right? No, uh, Archer doesn't drink sweet teas. Does he not? No, he's not from the South. Um, yeah, that's right. I guess I think Trip would be doing that. Um uh, yeah, well, that's that's literally, I'm drinking unsweet tea right now. Ar- Archer was born in New York and then grew up in San Francisco. 
Well, uh, I approve. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a coffee guy, so I couldn't get on board Janeway's beverage of choice. Um, but I am a, I am an unsweet tea guy. I, I'm the one holdout in the South. I'm drinking coffee right now at 7.30 p.m. All right, Janeway. But I, at the time, uh, I, I, this guy annoyed me because I was like, man, he has such a cool, elaborate design. He's got like this dragon egg head looking thing. But like, I would so much rather just seen like a Tellarite or a Bolian or like any, right. like, why not just give me like a familiar Trek species, Rick and Brandon? Like, uh, I, shouldn't they be meeting? Like, I don't know. Those are the people I want to see them meet. I mean, like this guy looks cool, but I don't care about them meeting this guy. Well, you know, he's basically just there to hand them off to the ghost ship. You know, um, uh, yeah, I, I would have preferred it too. Um, they, I guess they weren't quite as into their TOS homages yet. That took you know a couple seasons to get there to, to their callbacks. But he let them know about the the ghost ship or the hologram ship. Uh, so ki- that's kind of cool. I like him as like a kind of like the framing device or kind of like the introduction to the as like oh well. I was just passing by, but it was, but he, he seems to really believe it. So you're like, man, is this guy like full of shit or is he just trying to, is he trying to trick us or is he superstitious? Does he really believe this? Then you come yeah. to like, but I don't know. What if it is true? What if they are ghosts or, you know, it, it might not be ghosts. This is Star Trek. They don't get supernatural, but it might be something going on. So it's, yeah, I, it's I like enticing. derelict ship stories. Well, how, how do you like this one, like overall? Not that well. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not a fan of this episode either. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, I kind of look forward to watching it more now than ever before, because not only do we get Renea Barjanois back, but we also get Annie Wershing, our, our late Borg queen. Right, right. Uh, which, it's interesting that her first job and her last job were both Star Trek, and she had, like, a pretty big career in between over 20 years. Yeah, that's. I mean, that that is pretty cool for for we Trekkies to uh, to have her there, kind of bookending it. Um, yeah, Father, if this is this is what you would call a really conventional kind of Trek plot, um, I, I think it's redeemed by yeah. a little bit by Rene Abergenois his acting, and there's yeah. some solid spooky moments. But you know, we at some pretty pretty not too far into it, we're starting probably to expect something at least like what was revealed you know maybe not the specifics but something like it and you know it plays out about like you'd expect yeah and it's also it's more of that enterprise derivativeness where it felt like they were using so many recycled plots that that voyager kind of started to feel like for a bit and then we we were getting more of it in enterprise i I keep projecting myself back to the time back to it's hard it's hard to divorce myself from the feelings i had on these episodes the first time i watched them Mm. but I mean, here, for example, though, what you're talking about it with it being like so conventional, it, it, it does make it anticlimactic when there is, you know, not really much of a twist or anything. And there's a trend of a lot of anticlimactic Enterprise episodes where they just are kind of so like paint by numbers. But uh, I'll agree with you that Renee's performance, like it really, it really elevates like that moment of the episode, you know, when he gives his speech, like, oh, I totally buy that he is this, you know, this, 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 this grieving dude, the grieving engineer on, on, on his ship who who had to make that choice. Do I save my daughter, even though it will, it'll damn the rest of my ship. And he did. And then he tried to like bring them back as ghosts and he doesn't want to, you know, face the consequences of that. He doesn't want to destroy the, the comfortable world, not, not exactly a happy world, but a comfortable world for him and his daughter to exist in. And, you know, oh, it's like the Tempest. It's like, you know, Shakespearean stuff, but whatever. But it's like, 
but but it's just like a moment that I that I kind of uh, feel that. And uh, overall, the entire episode is it's very like low stakes. You know, it's just like oh, this right. guy didn't want to go home. It's but low they stakes. Talks and, him into it, and, and he her does. flirtation with Trip is you know kind of cheesy. No, nothing really notable about it. But I uh, like the. Perf- uh, did you not like the the chemistry between them? Though I thought I thought Connor and 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 Annie Wershine. I thought they were really good. Like sure. I, I I bought into it. I wish they like, had better better I think scripting. To give it to give it some little more oomph. I was happy for her because it it seemed like oh Trip was like the guy that she needed like she needed to meet like this like real really nice guy. It's kind of like I don't know like the first the first dude whoever she had any type of like flirtation with. I'm glad it was like this nice guy like Trip and not like an asshole or whatever. Yeah. And now I think like she'll be like now that she's like gonna go into the, into society for the first time. I think she's gonna have like a lot more confidence and she's got like a good like head start. So I, I'll say that I, I'm kind of happy with with how her storyline ends at the end. That was kind of satisfying, even though I was saying the episode's anticlimactic. It, it did have that for me at least. You know, when when Renee gives his speech, I think for a minute I was I was like, oh, they are gonna stay there, and he's like, you know, and it's gonna be kind of like whatever the consequences are, the consequences are. His weakness will end up kind of getting her caught up in it. And then I was like, oh, that'd be kind of a harsh and interesting ending. I kind of wish they had done the the harsher ending than the happy ending. Um, hmm. But, uh, you know, good for her, for her character. I do think the idea of, oh, how is there a dead guy in this escape pod? And he, he's been a corpse in orbit for 22 years. I was just hanging out with this guy earlier today. That is a great idea. I love that idea. It deserves a better episode. That that concept deserves a good Star Trek episode. Yeah, it could be a really cool scene. I, I have a general thing about their flashlights and stuff in this because it shows up in several more episodes uh, in this Just in like this the, batch. how kind of like real low world tech low is. tech they are. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. It's kind of, well, I, I can't, it's, it's maybe a little bit more of a criticism. I, well, I huh. do appreciate that... You know, it kind of it's a it's a thing that always works for creating tension. Is little beams of light stabbing out through a hallway while they have guns drawn or whatever. But it's also like I feel like they should have some kind of just little drone or something that can light up the whole room. Uh, they they just you know it it seems a little silly. It's it's I guess it, this is kind of in the same realm though as seat belts on the ship. You know, the bridge. I'm like, well, we want the mobility and the drama of them moving around, and it's 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 cooler when they go around through hallways with flashlights. Um, but I'm like, man, there would be easy ways to light a lot of this stuff up. <laughs> it just made me laugh. I liked Travis when he's when he's like, if that traitor left so quick. Why is the door shut? Why would he? Why would he stop and shut the hatch behind him? You know, I was like, I like that. I was like, oh, that is a good point. I like, I like uh, Travis when he's when he's he's like, oh, this is the experienced spacefaring guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we always talk about how they should give him more stuff like that. He does, and he does get some moments like that uh, here and there in in some of these ones, but but maybe but maybe not enough. Oh, oh, one one more complaint. I found something else to complain about. Sure. When he says that their Kentari ship was shot down by raiders and they've been stranded on that planet, why just say, like, raiders? Why not? Like, we know that Klingons are raiding. Like, why not, like, tie it into the universe and say they were Klingons? Or we have... We have, there's Nausicans. We've established two different, like, silent aliens that run around attacking people. So, like, why not make it any of them? Or, you know, if you actually gave... Rick and Brandon, their year off to develop the show, uh, 
work with, with a, a staff and create more of a show Bible and do all of that stuff. Like maybe they could have like had all that stuff connected and it would have been like the same, like marauding, they would have landed on like, okay, it's either gonna be like the Nausicans or Klingons or whoever, but whenever we need like a, you know, fill in the blank, some marauders shot down a ship. It's like, oh, we can use these people and it'll all feel like part of one big cohesive universe. But instead it's like, oh, it was some, some Raiders. So that's they kind wanted of a it to opportunity. Be as, they wanted it to be as generic as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, one other thing too, is that, um, there's a bit where to Paul is like, I heard something and trip is like, must be your imagination or whatever. That's, that is a trope that already it was long needing to be retired then. Um, and, and it reminded me of, um, uh, you know, this was pointed out, I think on like women at warp on that, the episode, what's the episode whose name I never remember where Beverly's like, you know, if there's nothing wrong with me, there must be something wrong with the universe. What's that episode? Remember me. Um, is that what it is? When she comes to him with that, he immediately takes her at face value that this is happening and starts to try and investigate it. And, uh, you know, I, and I do realize that this, I guess, shows that they're still working through that with, uh, to Paul and, um, Trip. They are not at that level of trust yet. Yeah. Yeah. Picard has built that up. But I'm still like, come on, man. <laughs> if nothing else, she's got the ears for it. Okay. Perhaps they too will father, uh, will not, will parent a child together. Like, like, uh, John Luke and Bev. Maybe so. They did. I did notice, you know, she was, she seemed a little bit more like, uh, you know, hey, try not to screw everything that moves trip around him, you know, a little. Yeah, she, she was jealous. Like, oh, is this going to be like the Zerillion lady that, uh, la- you know, last time you were this taken with an engineer, you wound up carrying her child. Yeah, I like the, I like the, I like the, the sassy jealousness there. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a little It's kind of trashy, but yeah. I, it I is like kind of trashy. Know. Uh, all right, let's let's move past this boring episode, though. <laughs> all right, so let's move on to some uh, some good old uh, uh, racial profiling in Detained. <laughs> uh, teleplay by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Directed by David Livingston. Archer and Mayweather accidentally enter a militarized zone and are detained by an alien race called Tendarans, who are at war with the Sulaban. Both men find themselves sharing cells with some Suliban detainees who they believe are wrongly imprisoned. So, uh, Dave, this episode, uh, just uh, to put it in context, uh, came out early 2002, shortly after uh, the events of 9-11, when there's like a lot of concern in the country, a lot of security concerns, and a lot of strange parallels with the Japanese internment Mm -hmm. of World War II. And, you know, a lot of concerns in the uh, the Arab-American and Muslim-American community and uh, it was uh, it was actually like a, a very uh, very relevant and topical uh, episode um, at the time, and I, I I have a lot of respect for it. I as far as like execution wise, I think it's I think it's I think it's okay. I think it's I think it's good, but uh, good but not great. It's like a kind of like I like it but love it in terms of like quality. But there's a lot I respect in it, and I think it could have been better. It could have might maybe been like more meaningful. But there's uh, there's some good scenes, some good dialogue, and uh, I l- like seeing uh, Dean Stockwell. Uh, if people watched uh, Quantum Leap, he was on screen with Scott Bakula in every episode, and and now they get to have some screen time together. So that's that's kind of cool. But what do you think about it? You know, Father, we talked about Stockwell off mic uh, a few days ago, and uh, I did not uh, watch Quantum Leap, and it is it is a blind spot for you. It's a blind spot. Um, so I, I saw him, and I was like, oh, I know that actor. I like him. And I quick looked him up, and I was like, oh, Dean Stockwell. Yeah, that's right. I, I've seen him in some other odds and ends. But I didn't even notice that he's, like, best known for I, – I wasn't really looking at his credits. I didn't look at that, that he was best known for Quantum Leap, probably. So I watched this whole one not knowing that there was any 
any connection at all between those actors. Um, and, and for me, I'm kind of glad. I think it, it might have felt gimmicky, although there wasn't really much gimmicky about their interactions uh, or anything. Yeah. You know, a I mean, that's innocent. kind of a, that's a TV tradition, you know, like like Shatner is on TJ Hooker. And then they have like Nimoy come guest star an episode or like sure, a, sure. J- John, uh, John Schneider, right? From Dukes of Hazzard. From Dukes of Hazzard, he, yeah. he was Jonathan Kent in Smallville, and then they had uh, what's his name? He played Bo uh, show up. Um, the other guy, the dark haired Tom, guy. Tom, uh, something. But but yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a tradition in television. So, Father, I looked up while I was wa- after I watched this. I was trying to remember when the the big controversies came out about like Guantanamo Bay and especially Abu Ghraib, the prison in Iraq, where there were like these really terrible things going on. There were deaths and there was torture. I mean, torture was actually normal, but uh, that was like particularly horrific um, and and very like. Um, basically, I was like, is this episode responding to that? But that was really around two thousand four. And so this would be more about, like, general de- detention, I think, and the air of anxiety. Yeah. And it definitely was, like, as a thematic, was like, hey, not all, you know, not all Muslims are part of the Taliban would be, you know, what what this thematic would be. I noticed that it also, def- you know, only definitively referenced the detainment of uh, Japanese Americans during uh, World War II. Which I kind of get. You're not going to want to necessarily talk about the present overtly because you're literally living in the times. You don't know how things are going to play out. You kind of want to get a little distance before you, like, say, oh, it's just like after 9-11, you know. But I, I did feel like it, the episode had some teeth, and I liked that about it. I also like prison break stories. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. At the at the end, there's something exciting about, like, a prison break thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like a, like a righteous prison break, yeah. you know. Um these these guys are people we've gotten to know over the course of it. I thought the guy who played uh, is it Danik? Is that the sort of lead guy? Yeah, that was he's the guy who was the director of engineering at some institute, and, and he's separated from his wife. There's so many things that like happen with you know these people that are that are detained by the state, and, and it's, it's like no, like I'm not like some like weird dude from another country. I I lived here. Like my brother was right. best friends with this guy who just like threw me in solitary confinement. You know, like like yeah. my, my my grandfather settled here hundreds of years ago. So it's and I, I like this is the first time they explained the the Sulaban don't have a home world. They're all refugees, and I th- I think that was. Yeah. That that was cool original and like oh you're bad guys it's not like a race of people your bad guys are like the cabal the terrorist cell and then the rest of the Suliban are like just normal everyday citizens trying to trying to you know make their way and that was something that I think Star Trek kind of hadn't really like explored before you know normally they just kind of like refer to like the Klingons are the bad guys or the Cardassians are the bad guys and th- there's you know a few times here or there where it'd be like oh but like these civilians over here are okay these the, here's some good ones over here but this is the first time where it's like oh no the majority of these people are cool it's just like a few assholes over here and look how important it is not to conflate all of them well you know i feel like we've gotten some of that with like cardassians and uh in in deep space nine they'd certainly got into some nuance but th- this was yeah a particular yeah, but, but it was thing. never it was never treated like they, they were always treated as like they're the they're the outlier you know oh i see what you're saying where it's like the majority of Sulaban are probably yeah, yeah uh, not not into this yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that, and that's why I think the episode felt like it had some teeth. And, you know, I also thought that, uh, uh, is it Colonel Gratt? Is that yeah. It? Dean Stockwell's I, a good bad guy. He's, he's intimidating. He's a good bad guy. When he starts dropping 
uh, how much intel he's gathered on Archer. And basically, he name checks every episode where they had some Sulabon. <laughs> yeah, he's thing. been he's been taking notes also. It's almost like he does a little Columbo thing. He's like, "Oh, by the way," he's like, "I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, what were they doing? Uh, you know, I, I saw yeah. they landed in Broken Bow, uh, Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma." Um, and he's like, "Well, what's that about? Why were they on Earth?" Um, because Colonel Grad is a good actor too, like Dean he Stockwell. Is, but he's he like, he's so believable in that. Like this this guy, yeah, this guy is smart. And this guy is totally convinced of what he is doing and his righteous cause, and he is super dangerous because of that. He's like, you know, you, you know, like this guy t- is a true believer. Like when he says, you know, these people don't have any rights; their their rights were suspended immediately the moment the cabal attacked us. It's like he really believes that in his heart. He believes that is true. It's like. Man, like, how how do you how do you go up against someone like that? It's uh, it's space, really a uh, intimidating. Rumsfeld. Yeah, he he was a scary dude, and that's that did you know it was why it felt good to uh, see them break out at the end and get you know justice that we don't always get to see in the real world. Um, I did think that you know for a show that's pretty good about its continuity and is frequently referencing its its own stories. Uh, I was like, man, this feels like it would really cause a a galactic incident or, you know, like an international incident equivalent. They they were like, they attacked the prison in a shuttle trip, blew up stuff like he was a (laughs) badass. Uh, That would that would not go forgotten. Um, I don't know if it comes back. Uh, Well, I guess we do know that there is sort of a there's fallout that I really like. Where it starts to build a reputation for Archer. I just don't know if Grat or anything. I'm trying to think. He doesn't. Well, I'm trying to do they specifically the Tendarans are only in these uh two episodes that we right. we discuss with them tonight so I, I much much to my disappointment I think Colonel Gret should have come back I think that he should have become the main villain of the show. I think that the show should have moved to like, oh, actually, the Suliban aren't the the worst thing in the universe. Our response to them was right. actually much worse, and this guy is out of control. And that would have been the perfect story to be telling uh, at the, at the time in the in the early aughts. But that's that's not the direction that the show chose to go. But I, I really I really see the road not taken when I when I rewatch Detained. Sure, I really sure. see it. All right, it's time to move on. It's time to get slimy. The the great uh, Vox Sola episode, one of one of the many Latin titled ones, but teleplay by Fred Decker, story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and Fred Decker, directed by Belana Torres herself, Roxanne Dawson. A symbiotic alien comes aboard Enterprise and captures several of the starship's officers in its web. Hoshi struggles to communicate with the alien invader in an attempt to save the trapped officers. So, uh. There's, uh, I, I don't know, just a lot of scenes of people, like, covered in slime, but th- that's the main thing I remember in this episode, but th- there's a, there's kind of a lot going on. You have, like, Travis doing diplomacy with the Cretessens, you have Hoshi doing translator stuff, you have T'Pol and Hoshi not getting along, you have Reed, I guess, invents force fields. There's actually, like, a bunch of things happening, yet it feels really boring to me when I watch it. What, what do you think about it? Uh, I think it's... For me, at least, probably the worst episode of the season. <laughs> um, uh, it had, like, the... Ma- I think... I agree with you. There's, like, the makings of a better episode in this, and or a, and a smarter episode. There's, like, the makings of, like, ten different episodes. Right, <laughs> right. They might have gotten a little... That may be even one of the problems. Um, you know, that, that they had to kind of go through, uh, like, translation stuff that involved deep mathematics 
that's that's a cool idea, but you know, the watching to Paul and Hoshi work together was not particularly satisfying. And I even thought that like it was almost like a weird retrograde thing for to Paul to be that kind of harsh when we'd seen her reach out to her in previous episodes and I don't know. Yeah, like in like in Sleeping Dogs. When... Right. And so that felt like they had kind of forgotten some of the character work they were building up. And yeah, just like the incidental writing wasn't wasn't great. Maybe all the budget was like spent on like different squelching noises for just the endless scenes of them kind of writhing in, in t- inside tentacles. <sighs> yeah. The original the original title of this episode was going to be the needs of the one, mm-hmm. which was such a great title for that uh, would have been the best part of the episode. Is that supposed to be because the creature is like a a kind of a hive mind? Yeah, I but I mean it's because like in Star Trek we say like the needs of the mini outweigh the needs yeah, of the yeah. one. So it, it was I don't know I I think that was a better name than Vox Sola, but what do I know? What uh, does that mean? One voice, I assume something like that. Got to be. Yeah, I think so. It's like a solo of of a single voice. Uh, why um, waste a good Sola? title on a bad episode? <laughs> you know the, the 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 movie they mention in it uh, when they're it's movie night, Wages of Fear. Uh, we also talked about this off mic briefly. Uh, it's a really good um, French movie from the 50s. Uh, if, if, if nothing else, I guess the movie, the episode deserves some credit for potentially pointing people to something much better than it. <laughs> yeah, I, I should watch that movie at some point. So any any movies that they watch on Enterprise, I'll toss on in the Text Trek Discord sometime. So I don't know when when I'll get around to it, but I'll, I'll, I'll put that on in there sometime. So anyone... Watching or listening to this, you should have a, a link in the description. You can you can click that now and join our Discord, and then uh, go to the Welcome Aboard channel and say hi. I'm in the Discord. I I heard this in Text Trek 272, and so now I'm now I'm here in the Discord. Let's chat. So someone someone uh, messaged me the the other day and and told me I I was driving and I stopped driving to message you because I wanted to tell you I was listening to Text Trek and I wanted to let you know, Fathery that uh you and dave are disagreeing and i agree with dave right here and disagree with you and you know instead of was that like a weird thing like like for the first time ever i agree with dave and i had to message you (laughs) i i i don't know what the the genesis of it was but you know instead of doing that we can we can just uh have these these conversations in the discord so yeah yeah come visit us to come visit over there but yeah we'll watch Wages of Fear, and also what? What else have they? Oh, uh, for whom the for whom the bell tolls? Mm, I haven't seen that one, Father. There was a bit in this early on when the thing got like the captain and like pulled him in, and like they're talking about their plan afterwards. That's what it cuts to them talking about what they're gonna do, and I'm like, there, there seem like there's some basic things that they should have been discussing. Like, did it clearly hurt or kill anyone? Uh, what What's the chain of command now that Archer's in there? Um, it, you know, what's, what's it like, I felt like there were basic questions they weren't asking, <laughs> which was just very weird to me. I don't know. Like the chain of command is pretty clear, right? If, if... Right. But I'm just like, well, like it's a big thing if like the captain is potentially dead in there. Like they weren't even saying mm. like, is it hurting them? Like, like they get around to that, but it's not like the first thing they're asking, which is, that seemed bizarre to me. I would assume that, you know, I would not assume it's going to take them and squish it into them into itself, which is what it was doing. I don't know. Like, I felt like a scene was missing. <laughs> it's just weird. A, a few of the things that I actually found that I liked in this episode, because I did, I did, I was surprised at how many things I found that I liked, even though, like, I don't, I don't really like the episode. But I do like that Travis gets to do, like, the diplomacy stuff with the Cretessens, and... 
I think the Cortessons are weird. It's like, oh, to them, like, eating is, like, as private as mating. But, okay, Brandon Braga likes, like, the weird sci-fi ideas. But it was cool to see Von Armstrong as yet another character as the Cortesan. So that's, we get to see Admiral Forrest. And we saw him in Klingon form last week. And this week we see him in Cortesan form. <laughs> and then he shows up again in season two. Uh, they they offend him again when Porthos <laughs> pees on one of their sacred trees. Some people are uh, just good at being offended. I kind of like that people in the 22nd century still, like, drink beer and eat pretzels and watch sports, even though it's weird that, uh, I guess, I guess the University of Texas has a good water polo team in, in 2252, but... That threw me. That threw I don't, me that that was, that that's Archer's That's Archer's state. sport? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm very, like, 20th century American when it comes to athletics, so I, like, I know about basketball, American football, baseball, and, like, that's... Even, even like golf and tennis are a bit exotic for me, but, uh, water polo, that's the, that's the sport of the future. Uh, the, the, the tentacles chasing Reed, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a fun moment when you, I just like I, Dominic Keating's like expression when he's like, <laughs> like running from the tentacles, but uh, the communication, like treating like, like, uh, a communication with like a strange new life form and like, you know, Hoshi having to do like some weird unconventional stuff as the communication officer. Like that was really good. Like on paper, it was like kind of like an annoying screeching sound when you, when you watch the episode and it, it, again, I think this one also feels like a bit anticlimactic. Like, oh, she just like made like a little walkie talkie machine that can like beep at the thing and it tells them where to go and they just take it home. You know, not a ton happens. I, I was telling you the other day, Dave, when, when we were discussing this privately, but you know, I think this would have worked better as like the animated series. It's one of those examples where I think, oh, if this episode, it has a, a kernel of a good idea, but it's just like all this bloated junk around it. If we could just like cut this down to a 25 minute story, I think it would be much more entertaining. Yeah, I agree. It really tightened it up. Uh, you know, though, Father, something else um, uh, that uh, that I liked in this episode was Flocks. Like, under mm. no circumstances was he going to let uh, Malcolm, you know, poke and prod and torture the tentacle. He's like, yeah. no, this is this is a piece of life too. It's it's its own individual uh, expression of that creature, and he's like, forget about it. And that was that was a cool moment for him. The autopsy scene was cool. Uh, let's see what did they do during the autopsy scene. It was just it was just Flock studying the tentacle, but he's in the oh, environmental yeah. suit. He had to put on a spacesuit to yeah, to yeah. work on it. So I like that. One final thing about this, I want to say that there was I, I continue to notice the music in several of these episodes, and this one during some of these dramatic scenes, I think with the interacting with the thing, there was this really nice violin solos that were working in there, and I was just like, oh man, that's 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 really above average for you know for modern Trek stuff. Um, just. I'm continuing to enjoy For modern that. Trek? What's that? For modern Trek? Yeah, and by modern Trek, I mean anything that's not TOS, <laughs> which had, like, really badass music. <laughs> but for for Berman era Trek, I, I think yeah. we've... Infamously we, we kind of to... a little down-tempo, soft, forgettable. I like the early TNG stuff, and then, yeah, yeah, then it gets real bad real fast. Yeah, early TNG was still, still in, you know, trying to be a little bit like TOS. But uh, yeah, so we're 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 crossing our halfway threshold, Father. So of of the four that we've talked about, acquisition, Oasis, detained, and Voxola, mm-hmm. the like the only one of those like I really like, I guess, is detained. And even that, it's like I kind of like it more for like it's just concepts and stuff, and not so much like the 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 quality of the execution. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a little bit of a rough patch. I can, there's things I can find to enjoy in, you know, acquisition. I have a lot of fun. I always want to call it acquisitions, by the way, plural. Uh, I was like that on Deep Space Nine with indiscretion. 
the Kira Dukat in the Desert episode. I always wanted to call it Indiscretions, plural. But yeah. I I love seeing those Ferengi, so I have a good time rewatching that. In Oasis, you know, this is the first time I think I've I've watched this episode since uh not just uh Anne Wershing, but also Renee Abarjan was the first time I've watched it since either one of them has passed. So oh, but yeah. I'll still be able to enjoy their performances. I've always thought they were both really good at it. Uh and I, I like Detain, but Vox Solo, like there really isn't uh, even though there, like, there's moments in here I like, it's hard for me to ever get like excited about rewatching it. It's just like there's there's nothing in it I really look for. I guess just the water polo. I guess like I don't know. They 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 have like uh, some cool water polo footage on TV, and they they're wearing different shirts. Uh, it's a little bit visually interesting, but I don't know. Yeah, there's not. It's it's a hard one to sit through. Yeah, like I said, probably my least favorite of the season. So that said, uh, the next one. Um... It was one I liked quite a bit, so yeah. let's let's maybe talk about that. Unless you've got anything else to to go on on this one. No, let's move to Fallen Hero, teleplay by Alan Cross, story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Chris Black, directed by Patrick Norris. Archer is ordered to transport Vulcan Ambassador Valar from the planet Mazar. That's so hard to say, Valar from Mazar. That's kind of how <laughs> Forrest says it. He's like, her name is Valar. She's on a planet called Mazar. It's like, are you going to start, like, rapping for us, Forrest? But, uh, Beastie but, Boys style. <laughs> yeah. Planet called Mazar. <laughs> Archer is ordered to transport Vulcan Ambassador Valar from the planet Mazar, where she has been accused of criminal misconduct. Following an attack on Enterprise, Nepal defends the Ambassador and asks Archer for help. So you were saying that you you like this one quite a bit more, Dave? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's like a pretty high tier suspense episode, uh, and there's some very good mm. character work for T'Pol. Um, we get a Vulcan in Valar, uh, who's a, a, a real counterpoint to a lot of the Vulcans we've been seeing. She's uh, the know. most likable Vulcan on the show, like including T'Pol. She's she's I guess I like some of those uh, the weirdo hippie Vulcans. Uh, well, yeah. There's a couple of them are all right, but the, out of conventional Vulcans, she's the only likable one we've seen. Well, you know, what was funny is because of the uh uh what was it v- Vatosh Kator Yeah. Uh, a, a Vulcans. I was, I was definitely ready to believe there was something bad about this lady because she seemed so chill, right, and and mm. and and happy to uh, you know interact with humans and even shake hands. So, uh, so I was, I was pretty pleased that she was what she looked like. Uh, that was pretty cool, actually. Um, and uh, and then I think the episode goes from suspense to like a really good chase sequence where you see them really pulling out all the stops, fighting for, like, every square, you know, kilometer that they can stay ahead of the bad guys and stuff. I was a little... I feel like this, there's a little maybe plot sketchiness in the sense that, you know, these are basically the space mob of Mazar trying to, like, take out a witness. And, like, taking them out on, like, a you know, the main ship from the from Starfleet doesn't seem like good uh, policy. <laughs> so, yeah, but they don't... Earth Earth is a... Star, Starfleet is just like an Earth... Yeah, it's an Earth... Or, it's like... It's Earth's NASA. It's like no one cares. They don't respect Earth NASA. Like, who's even heard of Earth? Some weird I mean, the Vulcans are planet. there guiding them. That means that they... You know, probably... Uh, you know, if I were some of the other races out there that don't like the Vulcans, I'd be like, we need to keep a watch on Earth because they're going to become Vulcan too if we're not uh, careful about it. I I always picture like the Vulcans are, they're 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 kind of like the British in the the 19th century. They're just like in all they're operating like in all corners of the quadrant, you know, they're just uh they're just kind of like ever present and Yeah, no that's probably sure. the case. But really that's kind of my only criticism. I don't know if this episode is 
is overall well-liked, but I feel like it's suspense and kind of chase sequence you know, have to be acknowledged if nothing else. For, for me, it's it's a very meh episode. Uh, really? Un- unfortunately, like, I don't have, like, a ton that I enjoy in, in this in this batch of, of Enterprise. Uh, but th- there is some some more stuff I like that we'll get to in a moment. But I, I like I like Valar. I always look forward to seeing her. But um, the suspense never really works for me on rewatch. Maybe it did the first time mm. I saw this. But uh, it, it is fun to see them, you know, kind of hot rodding the warp five engine, and, and you taking it like all the way up to. It's kind of funny too. It's like, man, like going warp five is going to make you fly apart, and then you watch, you know, the original series where they're zipping around at warp eight, and it, it really makes them feel more primitive and in, in enterprise, you know. Yeah. And, you know, Although what's funny is they still depict it kind of the same way. If right. Kirk, if Kirk ever had to push it, oh, everything starts to shake, and there's some pops and fires and stuff. So it's you know. <laughs> It's 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 still the same visual uh, adaptation of it. <laughs> I think the like they really like sell like their their trick at the end when they stage the the murder of the yeah. Vulcan. And yeah, and you know that's another Kirk when Fox is like no, and he's like when he's screaming. Yeah, that was very intense. I almost got I almost felt scared when he did yeah, that. I was like, what give, what happened? Give Doctor um, Flox the Oscar. I actually do think that that scene lost a little bit of the momentum because when they got on the ship, they still should have been threatening, even though Archer had a plan. You know, it still should have been like, man, this may not come off. Who knows? They might start shooting us. Who knows? And um, so, you know, I I felt like it gets a little bit flat there. Um, But that was a cool scene. And the Vulcans rolling up in their big-ass ship was a cool scene. I do like like the Vulcans. When they when they come at the end and and they they drive the Maserites away, I like that. But I don't like the Maserites. I think they're a lame, forgettable villain. It's like okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna create like a new Star Trek race, then make them memorable. If if they're not gonna do anything memorable, then why why not just use some? Why can't why couldn't these have been Bolians or Tellerites or Binar or like anyone that I might have been more invested in? Then like these these weirdos with like a a, a weak design that I will never see again and never miss. Well, the you know, and to some degree, I get why they, you know, might might have done it in this episode because they wanted it to be a done in one story and not have this thing where it's like where we're always wondering, oh, you know, why, you know, what's going on with the Bolians? Why do they have this this criminal syndicate on there? What's the bigger picture story? They just wanted to have a planet with a mob that wanted to kill a Vulcan ambassador, and um, so I, I think I think that it works. Uh, could they have been more, you know, unique? For sure. You know, more visually unique. But I kind of liked this guy. He felt... I actually wish they had made him feel a little bit more like a mobster. But he, he kind of felt in control and a little bit hard, to, you know, not... A little bit tougher to trick. I just liked that they kept on, like, oh, you know, basically matching Enterprise. And there was a question. There was a... There was, I thought it was a nice little knife's edge of, like... Oh well, we think we can outrun them. Ah, shit, it's not, not. It looks like they can match us. Actually, um, could we get just ten more minutes closer? Uh, that suspense was all cool to me. Yeah, no, I, I like that stuff. I guess the, the the drama in the episode that comes from just people not wanting to talk to each other it feels very weak. Uh, like they they never say what the criminal charges are, right? It's just like it was criminal misconduct, but it was like it's false charges, but they never get it they never get into what they were, but it, it makes it hard to like get invested when it when the character is like well, and, she was she it seemed weird that like what, like what could what could it have been that she's so dodgy about it? But um you know, of course the point is that she's asking for trust and there's a question of whether 
Archer and his people have earned that yet. And I liked Paul going to bat for them. And I liked Paul going to bat for her. Uh, that was that was all stuff that I was that I was very down with. Uh, in fact, I I loved when T'Pol said, uh, "If we if we expect to continue our relations with humanity, we have to earn their trust." That's a big character moment for me. I liked her being the one to convince Valar to trust the humans instead of, I guess, Valar being more because Valar does seem to appreciate humans more than T'Pol. She seems more like open to them and more tolerant of. Of the, I guess, whatever, you know, human traits that T'Pol finds insufferable, Valar doesn't seem to have as big of an issue with. But then it's interesting to me when T'Pol is actually the one who's, like, kind of understands us humans more and is like, oh, they're, they're, they're actually a bit more trustworthy than we've been giving them credit for. Yeah, Valar may have been, like, kind of like, well, I can put on a friendly act with them, but, like, to some degree, I'm really not there internally. Uh, and T'Pol externally but, isn't, but internally is. I, I uh, still I still find the Mazarites incredibly boring, and I don't know. Couldn't it have been like the Orions that had infiltrated them, or just I like I I feel, I feel like they could have they could have jazzed that stuff. You know what it is, Dave? It's, it's that like Rick and Brandon still have like that Voyager mindset of like, oh, we don't we don't have to like have established races. We'll just have like these planets that we just come across one time, and then Voyager leaves that system, and we never run into them again. So they had kind of gotten in the habit of like not of just having like these boring people that we just see one time and then never never use again. So I, I think it just it's just been kind of the style they were used to writing. And uh, so Jill, Jill says it makes the world seem small if they keep uh, reusing species. And I'm a little torn on this one. I. I think that if you establish co- kind of cool iconic things, or if there's an alien race, it, that, it depends on the that, circumstances. That, if there's an so. alien race that catches on, I think it's worth leaning into them and giving us some more lore and more episodes. You know, like honestly, the you know it's crazy that it took till now for the Andorians, you know, who appeared in TOS, to really get some work. Yeah, done. that was that was fucking criminal that Rick and, Berman made us made us wait all those years to see Andorians again. And, uh, um, you know, honestly, you know, I also like find that when they do one-offs like this and then never do any follow-up with them, you know, Father, I'm always talking about wanting a bit of follow-up, just, you know, some, some story that shows how things come out for, for people. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't want I, it if it's like a boring species, but it's like... But, you know, it, it can feel like, well, the FX guys just figured out what different bumps and ridges to do this week, and yeah, that's a little boring and like makes, makes them feel a little just forgettable. So I, I'm a little bit torn, but I lean towards, I think I would have liked to have seen it, uh, be, be one of, you know, Nausicans or something. I mean, I, I think, I think Trek has like enough diversity. It's like, oh yeah, we, we, we have a bunch of races we can reuse and it's not going to, it's not going to feel like we're just reusing the same four or five. I think there's dozens that there's dozens of races we know of that exist within warp five distance of earth that they could have used here. Like anyone who is in season one of TNG pretty much, or in TOS that were first contact is not established. Anyone who is at the journey to Babel, you know, there's plenty of races that like, we, we just see them as like a background character. Anyone from, from the motion picture, any like those TMP races, anyone in Star Trek four and the Federation council, like there's, there's, there's a lot to that I, I I think we kind of need to see like explored and I will say out, but... like no one can say that Trek is always constantly reusing anybody it's like um you know even the biggest ones Klingons and Vulcans and stuff they're not omnipresent there's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of aliens that aren't them <laughs> and even though Orion pirates are a cliche we see lots and lots and lots of pirates that aren't Orions um so so yeah 
I don't think we're going to convince uh, Jill, and I think maybe Aaron is in, maybe in the same boat. Uh, yeah, uh, as, uh, tonight, uh, and they're probably not going to convince us, though, <laughs> Father. Do you have anything else to say about the uh, the episode? I guess this is the first time they mention Ryza that they're because that, that was another. Oh, so they're they're like, okay, we're desperate for ratings. We really we really need people to 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 stop giving up on Enterprise. Ratings continue to go down and down and down. Okay, we we brought back Ethan Phillips. We brought back Renea Barjanois. Let's okay, let's go to Ryza. We can do like a fun Ryza episode. People will like that, right? So let, let's spend multiple weeks in the show advertising our upcoming Ryza episode. We're going to announce that we're going to Ryza, and then we'll get sidetracked a couple of times, and eventually we'll get there. I actually, so I keep love watching. that. I, 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 I like it fun. too. I, I like, I like the, uh, that it takes them a while to get there. So I, and I like that, their um, way. now when the episode finally came along, it was a disappointment, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> the, um, but I, I like the build up to it, and I even, I, I like the sort of bluntness of T'Pol, and it's was, it was blunt and funny, of course, when she's like, you guys... She's like, you guys are a little bit, you're like operating 3% below standards. You need to get laid. <laughs> it's, um, that, that was fun. It also checked another box of allowing them to like, oh, let, let's, let's try to pump, pump up the, the sex in, in Enterprise. We're going to make this the most, the most sex Star Trek people have ever seen ever. That was a big incentive going into the show. They, they could have, they could have had a lot more sexiness in the Ryza episode. It was practically chased, I felt it, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, we have a couple of a couple of other ones to get to before before Ryza, but first up is uh, Desert Crossing, teleplay by Andre Bermanis, our uh, Berman era science consultant. Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and Andre Bermanis, directed by David Straton. Archer and Tucker are invited to a desert-like planet by an alien leader. After they help fix his ship, after arriving, they discover he has invited them under false pretenses. Uh, another another disappointment is like, man, like this prequel show, like I want to see Archer meet all these. I want to see Tellarites. Can we please have Tellarites? Like, no, there's going to be boring people who look like humans, but they live in the desert. You got to take the episodes as they are, Father, not as what they might be. Well, that was part of my, that was part of my frustration, you know, watching, uh, watching early Enterprise and in 2002 but i do like clancy brown so i i'm glad that he was in star trek but it's kind of shocking that like we the franchise didn't get more out of him he just does this this character in this episode or he's like i don't know he's kind of like a cartoony bin laden stereotype of a (laughs) it's like around this time like south park did an episode of where they had like cartman chasing osama bin laden like bugs it was like a bugs bunny elmer fudd cartoon but it was like with cartman and bin laden and this kind of felt like that cartoon idea of a terrorist in 2002 i actually feel like he's more like probably calling on a little bit of um oh lawrence of arabia a little bit of our sort of the, the mythologized Arabic prince mm. kind of thing. Uh, you know, he he seemed, uh, you know, uh, Americans were didn't find, I think, didn't think of Bin Laden as charming and charismatic. This guy was a gregarious host. He was almost, you know, almost had like a little bit of like a stereotype of like a bit of a yeah. Russian to him as well, even. And he's like, he's like Clancy Brown is like talking and like, it's like Clancy Brown just give us like a terrorist accent. He, <laughs> I, 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 okay, I, I will be Zabra, the terrorist who talks to Archer like this. But you know, Father, I don't think he's, I don't think it's meant to be a, to, like a, a terrorist vibe. I think he is, it's more like the exoticism that they do. It's, you know, it's still not necessarily a good thing, but it's it's when you you know those movies that kind of where you would have like white actors playing Sinbad or something like that yeah and other Middle Eastern princes and they kind of were like 
they would romanticize it and exoticize it and uh so that like they were meant to be i think he's meant to be a likable and uh an honorable character you well, know, he's meant way. to be ambiguous like yes and that's that's not my like analysis that's like the the writers of the episode of talk like andre bermanis is talking about like oh yeah the beauty of of zabra is that like he's uh, like you don't know how good of a good guy or bad guy he really is it's, but he's he but, saves him in the end he helps him out although it takes a little yeah. arm twisting there, there's stuff I like in this episode, but overall, I, I find it, it it has more problems than things I like, and it, it it's another anticlimactic ending that kind of, and um, I don't know, it's, it's it's another one I kind of I never look forward to to rewatching. I, I get kind of bored of watching Trip fall around in the desert because he's dehydrated from playing volleyball in the sand. But uh, how, how do you feel about it? I like this episode. Um, not love, but I liked it quite a bit. Um, other than the fact that it might have made more sense to have some actual, like, Arabic actors or somebody with darker skin for the kind of climate. Yeah. Or I would have, I would have not done Actually, desert, I wouldn't have done desert people and, and terrorism in the same episode. I think that's... It's a little, little obnoxious, but you know what? But I, I feel like they're portrayed sympathetically. Um, that when he tells his story, which we're, if we, we take it at fairly face value, it does sound like they are an oppressed caste. They have a caste system and they're on the low rung. Also, by the way, it does occur to me, I think they're not supposed to be originally from the desert. They just had to hide out there, so they wouldn't necessarily have dark skin. So that's that's actually fair, I think. I thought that the episode did a kind of a neat job of summing up the themes of humanity's stumbling first steps into the galaxy when um, Hoshi is talking about it. She says, she sums it up as, we get invited to dinner, and before you know it, we're accused of taking sides in a war. Like, to me, it's pointing them that they need prime directives they need some kind of protocols they need to actually maybe listen to uh to the vulcans a little bit i was kind of amused at least by the top gun volleyball scene in uh in the... what are they what sport actually has like a scoop like that is it hot highlight is that how you say it i don't i don't i don't know it's um... i think that's what it is it's not one of the ones that I'm familiar with. Is it also, went over, but. I don't actually know how rugby works. Does rugby have some kind of thing? No, ru- rugby, you just have like a, a football-looking ball. Like, it looks like an American football I ball. think there's a scoop in highlight. Um, okay. This is a, uh, this is a uh, you know, I'll say this. These uh, lacrosse is, uh, was mentioned by Joel. I think there you go. Okay, yeah, uh, that's but what it's, I'm thinking. But you know, it's space lacrosse or uh, space yeah. terrorist lacrosse. lacrosse. Um, that, you know, these guys are in pretty good shape. It was an opportunity just like Top Gun to show some beefcake and, uh, although, man, they did it right after they apparently had this big meal. I felt for them there. I was like, I, you guys are going to throw up. Um, <laughs> well, it but, does explain, like, it does make sense why Trip was so sick, but I don't know. Like, it went to me, I prefer, like, if Trip had, like, if he got injured during the attack, if he had, like, something, like, stabbed his leg or something, like, I don't know. It just, he just seems kind of lame to just be like just dehydrated like like it's that's hardcore fathering you're like how dare... bit... no it just it just seems it just seems low stakes and pedestrian you know i believe to me they played it kind of so realistically where he like really looked broken and worn and maybe a little quicker mm-hmm. than you know we want in our action heroes but like i felt it was very believable you know like that you know you've got a fever, you're nauseous, you don't want to drink even, you know. It, it was actually almost a little uncomfortable to me to watch because it felt so kind of real. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had, like, I've never had, like, heat stroke, but I feel like I've been, like, right on the cusp of it to the point where I was about to throw up, and it's it sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and, and I sort of I felt like felt like they kind of captured that. Yeah, to me, it makes me think of, like, when I worked in the aluminum smelter, and pe- mm-hmm. sometimes people would fall out. And... Yeah, yeah, I bet. 
I, I can't, can't even imagine. I actually like just someone who like hates like the hot weather. I I, I took it pretty well uh, at when I had to work in a three hundred fifty degree environment. Fathery, um, you you know how I, I've I've liked and you know this it's a big thing and you know, I realize now at this point it's not the exception it's the rule that they are constantly referencing past episodes and that's like a, a compliment I have in general for the whole first season is that they build on each other and I so I thought that this was a great like one of my favorite other episodes is the prison break episode I really like that in the first season and this is that getting mythologized so Tom Clancy Tom Clancy. Uh, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. It's like, uh, like, oh yeah, I heard you rescued a thousand people and killed all these guards. Mm. I, I like that 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 reputation is getting around there, and they're getting to the complicated point where, oh, this this is getting uh, beyond us, and um, uh, that was another sort of win for me to call that back and have that, it... that felt real, like how how stories get exaggerated, how you know, game of telephone, you know, like oh, you, you rescue eighty nine Sulaban, and then a, a month later, people are going around saying you rescued a thousand. And you can tell that that Archer does want to help, which is why I think that I do the, like that we're meant to sympathize more than not with um, Clancy Brown. But I, I um, and I I like the idea of being like. But sometimes, you know, it can be it can be kind of tricky choosing sides. And it doesn't it doesn't like end the conversation there, though. It doesn't just right. be like, well, it's complicated. Who knows who the good guys are and who the bad guys are? It, it, I like that it still has like a little bit more of a sympathetic lens towards yeah. uh, Zerbal, which I thought was like, you know, kind of kind of bold to do at, at the time in 2002. And, and I, I feel yeah. like season one of Enterprise kind of questioned the status quo more than like seasons two or three will, which is yeah. uh, it, more a disappointment. Than I ex- more than I expected it to. It's a disappointment that I experience uh, rewatching the show because I I see a lot of like uh, a lot of potential in season one that it never really the show doesn't really get into, and then uh, the, I, I I have to wait till season four before the my favorite parts of Enterprise. But I do enjoy seeing Clancy Brown, and I gotta admit, like. You know, if if I rescued his spaceship and he invited me to come hang out with him at his little desert village, I'd I'd be tempted to take him up on it. And, and he kind of seems like a fun dude to to hang out with for a day. But yeah, Get I don't know. Hangings. I don't know if I'd want to. Uh, yeah, if I'd want to like dedicate my uh, my my ship to fighting his cause. Um, well, you know, uh, Trip Trip addresses that, and he's like, "Hey, there's a difference between helping out some, uh, you know, prisoners that were like unfairly imprisoned." And fighting a war, you yeah. know, he's like that. This is this is beyond us. But I'm I'm definitely sympathetic to to the you know his story about like oh there is a caste system and and even though that's been overturned you know they, we we still don't get fair treatment. It's like okay that all sounds pretty believable. But mm-hmm. I I kind of in some ways Zerbal's a bit more of like what I I thought Shran should be a bit more like you know how it bothers me when Shran's like I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that I owed you a favor mm-hmm. I kind of wanted Shran to be a bit savvier and he'll like I kind of picture Shran as like he'd be like the Andorian commander he'd be like no of course Archer like turned that stuff over to me because it was the right thing to do I don't owe him a favor like this clearly shows that Earth this new player in the, on the intergalactic stage these humans they they clearly see the the righteous Andorians against the the evil Vulcans and and yeah I don't owe this guy a favor he was just like doing the right thing of course i kind of feel like right. strand would have had like that level of savviness mm-hmm. and uh like uh, the, i think berman and braga just like they, they didn't have time they couldn't like put that much thought into a lot of stuff they're like oh we just need this guy here and it's like oh he just couldn't sleep at night he, he owes archer a favor that's, that's good enough let's go with that but uh i th- there's some stuff in zorball that i would have liked to see 
done with with Shran. I guess I just I have a lot of problems with him being like this. The, I don't know, like this dude in the desert. And I feel like if you if you had cast like a Middle Eastern actor, it would have been like even worse. It would have made that conflation even worse. But father, they, they, if they, they they were bucking the trend, they were they were saying that like these desert dwelling guys deserve some sympathy. I don't. Or... I, I I've never talked about this this episode with uh with uh I don't want to say it. I've I've heard many people voice that complaint, and mm-hmm. I have I have a hard time. I have a hard time disputing it. it. Yeah, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll have to talk more about it off mic. And, uh, and, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to say like I've never heard someone from you know one of those ethnicities that frequently get discriminated on against for yeah. I don't know association with Islamic terrorism or you know whatever whatever we're going into. But I don't want to say like I've never heard one of those fans like tell me like they didn't have a problem with this episode because I feel like if I say that, then someone in the comments will say it just to <laughs> disprove me. But that's that's definitely like the sentiment that I have I have heard from from those fans is like they really they really don't like this one. I'll say this. I'm you know, I, I grew up with a lot of pulp traditions, and that means I'm not thrown too much when um you know, uh when they have like an exotic bl- fill in the blank, someone who looks Asian or black or something like that. I'm used to that from pulp traditions, which are both weirdly rooted in racism, but also had that kind of thing where they exoticize them and they'd be like, oh, the Native Americans are to be admired. They're closer to the earth and they're more, you know, humble than us. But they would do it in this kind of patriarchal, condescending way, but they would still elevate them a little bit. Very common pulp tradition. It's in Last of the Mohicans and tons of other uh, projects. And I feel like Zabral is based in that, which is kind of like has a good heart behind it, sort of. But I absolutely can see that, you know, that is, you know, I'm looking at it from a privileged white guy perspective. And and so I can see why it's, it, he can be problematic. Um, but, you know, and I'm also just like, I like Clancy Brown. He is yeah. a kind of ridiculous character, but I'm there for it. I really like his character. Yeah, so. I would have liked him to, like, not play someone who comes off as a racial stereotype. Fair enough. Offended a lot of people. But, uh... That's all I got on Desert Crossing. Let's move on to Ryza. Two days and two nights. Teleplay by Chris Black. Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Directed by Worf himself, Michael Dorn. This is the only Enterprise episode directed by Michael Dorn. Father, I believe it is possible that my two least favorite episodes were directed by Trek actors. Really, through no fault of their own, I think they had weak episodes. Because uh, the other one by Bellano was... What was her Black episode? Sola? Yeah, Voxola. Nothing to do with the directing, only the story. So, but go ahead. What's what's our premise here? The crew take shore leave on the famous pleasure planet of Ryza. For many, it is anything but a vacation. Yeah, I guess Hoshi has a good vacation. Uh, Travis breaks his leg. Uh, Archer gets roofied. Uh, Trip and Malcolm get mugged. So, doesn't doesn't work out well for most of them. But uh, you said that. You were definitely not a fan of this. I'm. I. I think that. I guess there's some fun stuff in here. I don't know. It's. It's kind of visually exciting to to put on the screen. You get some. You know, cool locales. You get some. Some different wardrobe for our characters. But yeah, there's a. There's a lot to complain about, for sure. I. I like the slapstick comedy with flocks, but I hate the. And I don't. I don't like to say the word hate often when you know when we're talking about this. Like I only like want to say hate when I really mean it. But I hate. The night at the Roxbury routine with <laughs> with, uh, with with Trip and, and yeah. Malcolm. I, I yeah. it's at, at at some of the most embarrassing stuff Star Trek has ever done in in what is it fifty eight years of our franchise at this point? 
Yeah, Aaron mentioned their no homo vibe and man there's just a lot of like it's it's like a lot of their dialogue is just cliched like oh look at that isn't she hot and then it seems like they have no actual game all their like lines are kind of cheese ball i'm like that, but on, I, that, that's, that's something of merit in this episode I'll, I'll say i'll give it a compliment on that uh the that things don't work out well for them and that things do work out well for hoshi i kind of like oh this is like a this is a very uh I don't know, healthy flirtation with uh, with Hoshi and the guy that she encounters. I wish it was all like that for all of the characters. That was, yeah, <laughs> those were good scenes. Uh, but but yeah, not not so much. But I I like that it was like Trip and and Reed were like they were being assholes and and things don't work out well for them. But it's it's so like it's so like transphobic the idea of like oh if you go out to the club you know you better watch out because there's a lot of men pretending to be women and they're going to yeah. try to trick you, which it's kind of a you know harmful stereotypes that very like much so, leads, yeah. leads to a lot of hate crimes but it's also it's also like very like untrue and i don't know like i don't know like uh, uh like the guys that are worried that i don't know there's some like i i, I that someone's trying to like trick them or something like I well don't, you I don't... know it's like it's it is its own also like fetish porn genre which uh you know tells you that people like the idea of it because it's kind of trashy and they there's 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 definitely a subsection of people who are into the idea but you know in the same way that there's a lot of kinks and stuff that are kind of have some messed up ideas behind them but it's in the end it's just kind of fantasy stuff but yeah like as presented here it's very gross which is a shame because you know what trip's leisure suit his little white jacket really good looking i think <laughs> he should have had he should have had a, a better time uh, it is his... it is a rare instance of like oh decent civilian clothes in burman era star trek so it's like they i guess they kind of fixed civilian clothes with enterprise when they went like a little bit more real world made it yeah. a bit closer to today's world it, you, you know you didn't have the uh some of the jake Sisko catastrophes you know right. running around on screen so right. that, that, or that, the that is a of the show Wrath of Khan kind of futurism in the collars and stuff. I, there, there really was a lot they got right on Enterprise. It's like all of my complaints stem from the writing. <laughs> but uh, let's, I guess, like go through these like one by one though. Like starting sure. with Archer, you know his his uh, encounter with the the Tendaran woman who's like a spy who's so cool. Like we don't really know her motivation. Or is 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 she a solo operator? Is she working with Dean Stockwell's character? Is she just a uh, you know someone who's who's a, a different part of that government? Or like is she not affiliated with any agency? There's so much mystery, and then it. It doesn't go anywhere. We never, we never see her no. again. They never follow it up. I think there's a lot of cool potential. I don't know. Maybe they didn't like the actor that they hired to play her. Maybe they didn't think she'd be like uh, worth bringing back. But I don't know. What yeah. do you think of that stuff? I, I thought that she was fine. Uh, she's, you know, she, she feels like she's got some good energy with Archer, and you know, I kind of like the idea of the, you know, <laughs> their dogs getting them talking initially. That's a real, that's a very real world thing sure. as a, as a small dog person. But yeah, I mean, like, you, you know, you go to the dog parks, you talk to other dog owners, like a lot of, that's like a lot of, um, anytime you, you know, uh, two dog people start like some romantic talking, like eventually at some point you got to be like, Oh, well, will our dogs get along? You know, you gotta, you gotta bridge that gap at some point. Now, father in real life are a lot of them Tendaran spies. <laughs> I hate when that happens, but, but yeah, it's like one out of three. Uh, Joel is asking the question I wanted to know. How did the dog get to Archer's balcony? But I, she beamed it. She has a transporter, probably, because she's a spy. She did that to, like, get herself access to him. They, it's, she, it's a weird she thing. She had the intel. The, we know the Tendarans are thorough there. They they know he's a dog. They know he's taking his dog on vacation. They, they should knew, have made they that knew a plot everything. point. 
They should have made that a plot point. It's weird to have it happen, and Archer is like, oh, I actually that's like that. I um, actually like that because it, it it stands out to you as weird, but then when you rewatch the episode, you can be like, oh, of course she would have a way to do that, you know? Um, somebody in the comments at D- DT says, little dogs will find a way. Uh, I don't even know if that's like her actual pet. She might have engineered that in a lab to resemble an earth canine and then made up the story about it being named Rilo. Oh, the, my, my dog here, Rilo, I adopted her when she was a puppy. That could have all been made up. I, I like how, you know, she could have been the Garrick of, of Enterprise, you know? There, there's so much mystery and intrigue there a, a mist like i watched this segment and i was kind of waiting for it to go somewhere because i felt like like i said i thought they had some good chemistry and then it goes nowhere and it's like it's very disappointing yeah there's a lot of fun sulabon stuff in season one that I, I think they very very clearly wanted to be a strong part of the show it's almost like in Voyager, how so much of the early stuff was like with the Kazon and Seska and stuff. Yeah. But I like all of this so much more, and it's kind of sad that they they do move away from it. But the stuff that they move to in season four, I very much love, so I can't complain too much. Uh, I'm sorry I keep saying that when we talk about Enterprise, but I'm going to say that a lot when we discuss seasons two and three I hope as I well. S- I hope I like it as much. Um, I, who knows? But uh, the... Flock stuff? Let's talk about flocks next, I guess. Uh, I, I really like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's dumb slapstick, but I was just talking earlier how, like, I love Ferengi episodes. I'm okay with a little slapstick in Star Trek. It, it's fine. I, I, I laugh at flocks when he, when they're trying to wake him up and they're like, Travis Mayweather. He's like, who? Our helmsman. Oh, yeah, I know who he is. Just like all of that. When he, when he walks up to Mayweather and he calls him captain. <laughs> it's like it's like man you, you think you think Anthony Montgomery looks like Scott back like you can't even tell these two men apart and you're the doctor who's about to like perform some medical you know procedure that this guy was insistent he needed his real doctor to work on him and yeah he's got the guy you can't even like tell him apart from Scott Bakula it's like that I don't know that's funny it's 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 uh it's John Billingsley's great at all of that I think that I had lost my goodwill for the episode by that point and so or I was losing it and so it didn't, it didn't, it worked for me, I'm afraid. John Billy, like, like when you describe it, it sounds funny to me, but I was watching it and I was like, yeah, move, we'll, it, move we'll, along, move we along. We can watch it in isolation some point after you've forgotten it after some time and then, it, yeah. and, and maybe you'll laugh at it then. Hey, Father, I have a sort of related question, to, just sort of a general question about Risa. Uh, although it's iconic, uh, like, is there a really good Risa episode? <laughs> Even one? I, how do you feel about the first one in, is that in the Next one with Generation? Picard yeah, and Vosh? Captain's Holiday. It's okay. It's like it's. I, I like it, and, and I like Vosh as a character, even though I think that she never really quite got what I. They, they never quite used her as well as they could have, but. Uh, like, I guess that's my favorite. If there's a little bit of Ryza in the game, in the opening of the game, uh, Riker acquires the game, the, the game that you put on and you put like the discs <laughs> and the cone and the, the, when, the visor that, that you put on. Yeah, what is that? Uh, Riker gets the game on Ryza in the opening of the episode. Oh, okay. So yeah, this is what the people are up to down there. Like, and, like I know I didn't like the DS9 episode where Worf went and joined the, uh... And then Michael incels. Dorn comes back to direct this one. So. Yeah. Ouch. And um, that one was directed by a Trek actor, too, because Renee Abarjanwa directed the DS9 Ryza episode, so... 
but I, I, even though like they're not good, I still kind of have fun watching them. But this one, like I was, I like it, I forgot how bad it was, even though like I just watched this a couple times seven years ago. Like it shocked me, just like the uh, how it sounds in 2023, just like some of the some of the the dialogue they were saying. But Jill was saying how she loved that uh, that Hoshi left her Universal Translator behind, and if she had taken it with her, then the you know the rendezvous that she has with this guy wouldn't have happened. That's nice. Yeah, you're you're someplace for like two days and two nights, so you don't want to like you know fall in love, but you you uh, you find someone who's is the right person for the moment. It's uh, I don't know. I thought it was like. It was a it was a good healthy. I'm glad that I was exposed to this as a as a teenager watching TV, watching media. I'm glad that I saw like the 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 healthy sex life as well as yeah. like the uh, the the problematic stuff that that uh, Trip and and Malcolm were up to. Which for me was uh, like I got that through TNG, where I would see you know Riker or Troy or somebody uh, or Worf uh, have casual relationships and healthy relationships that were, you know, they had their dramatic turns and stuff, but they were also shown to be mostly pretty healthy and, uh, you know, very consensual and all that. So there was, I feel like TNG came through for me there. Well, uh, I guess we're ready for the, uh, the final episode we're discussing of season one of Star Trek Enterprise, yep. but our season finale, Shockwave, written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and directed by Alan Krecker. After apparently causing the destruction of an alien colony, the Enterprise is called back to Earth. Archer learns via Daniels that the Sulaban are trying to sabotage Enterprise's mission. So we have Daniels back, we have more Sulaban, more temporal Cold War. Uh, we have uh, the, the, the crazy ending with the cliffhanger of Archer in the post-apocalyptic 31st century. I don't know how well, you said you didn't remember like the, the late season stuff that mm-hmm. well. What, what, what do you uh, think about uh, re- revisiting this one? After seeing it again for the first time in a long time, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a nice switch after the previous one. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a like a to me a quite good episode that maybe could have been great, but uh, but but like has a few weaknesses t- for me. Um, and I'll say this: they, they're pretty straightforward weaknesses. I thought that they the opening was very intense, where they like you know, oh, there's this blood on our hands. We've we've lost the colony, and I was pretty sure that that wasn't gonna be the case. That there was some setup, but um, you know that does get resolved pretty quickly. The main issue I had was that the cool stuff that really Archer goes into command mode and kicks some ass in the second half of the episode, but he's really following the playbook that Daniels gave him. And it okay. felt like I, I wanted him to be, you know, have, have like worked up some more of that on his own, even if he was That's just funny. synthesizing Daniels's info to come up with the plan. Uh, it, it felt like, and I guess he did. Like he still. He still came up with the plan? I don't, I don't know, actually. No, Dan, Daniels gives it all to him, but that's that's what I liked about it is, like, it feels, it, it feels uh, earned to me because Archer has been struggling, like, all season long trying to, you know, figure all of this out the first time, making history with every light year. Is like, like, they make fun of the, the slogan in this episode of the, of the catchphrase. But uh, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for him when he's the guy trying to figure it out. He's the pioneer doing all this for the first time. You know, he's, he's the Lewis and Clark. You know, he's the, the guy who had who had the balls to be like, oh yeah, I'll be the I'll be the first guy to go out there at a warp five starship, and and I got to get all of this right to like set set uh you know the the record straight that 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 humankind that that mankind that that my my engineer father and all the rest of us like we have the right to be out here, 
And then he's got to deal with like all these assholes from the future and like this temporal cold war. It's like he's got enough on his plate already. He's just dealing with like the the actual twenty second century. He doesn't need all this extra stuff. So I I I feel like it's earned when Daniels comes in and he, and the the example that I thought of in like two thousand two was like he has like the game guide. But you know how like there would be like video games and then like if the game was too hard, you could buy the little guide magazine yeah. that like tells you how to do everything. It's like yep. oh, it's like this is like uh actually like an appropriate time for like the. Uh, the protagonist to have that it doesn't feel like he's cheating i thought i thought that was kind of cool. and then like when to paul's all skeptical about you know like no the vulcan science director it doesn't believe time travel is possible and then he's like how the hell did i know how to build the thing to detect sulaban stealth ships take us directly to where one is go on board steal their information and and you're telling me that, that time travel is still impossible it's like he does all that stuff and like people still question it i don't i don't know i thought they found a way to make that work so i you know, Father, I never liked those guidebooks. Uh, so, um, so maybe well, no, I, I made I made fun of the of the kids who who bought one. <laughs> but like, I, but I, I thought it was I thought it was cool that like it it made sense here. But well, you know, it felt weird to me that Archer was as confident as he was when really he should like that was like it was all unexplored territory. But the actual scenes themselves were great. <laughs> like that was just like the dopest action scenes that they've had on the show. Yeah. Uh, there was like, freaking... I mean, I, I think I, I buy it. Like Daniel's taking him back in time 10 months. Like, okay. He believes Daniel's now. He's like, sure. this guy can do some, some, this guy can clearly time travel. Like, yeah. and, and I think they actually like show you like, like Archer, like, was it all a dream? Then he's like, no, how do I know flocks? And then it's like, wow, this is exact. This is the exact conversation I had with Trip. Like, like I, th- I thought that I w- I'm kind of impressed because this episode is written solely by Rick Berman and Brandon Bragg. And I was like, oh, th- this is like the time you spent your time focusing on this stuff. And that's why you were saying like, you didn't have time for like, you know, everything else that you had to rush. But uh, I don't know. I have, I have a lot of respect for this episode. I, I actually forgot how much I liked it because I, I – spoiler alert for season two. I don't think I like the uh, the second half of the story as much. And so that, that's kind of always like skewed my my memory of how much I like this one. But there's a lot in this finale that worked for me. Honestly, Archer probably could have explained himself better to, to Paul. But, you know, time was of the essence. Uh, as a side thing, this was another episode where I liked the uh, some some dramatic music both – in the somber early portions where they were, you know, Archer really, and then good acting by Bacula, by the way, when he was like really seemed broken by the possibility that they had been responsible for the death of the colonists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there was some good music to accompany that. In the comments, I noticed someone was saying, uh, what was it about? Something about DePaul. Enterprise seems to go, uh, uh, to, they try to make DePaul suffer since they don't have O'Brien. And I do think that's true. She's often the, um, the oh, person man. who you know has they, to just they're only deal. just getting started beating her up. Yeah, there's uh, some there's some stuff I'm not looking forward to seeing in seasons two and three with her. But that's too bad. I'll, I'll say this though: to Paul gets some good material in this episode. I kind of like like the culmination of season one, like the big arc, kind of being like a, like a, like a character thing. But like between Archer and to Paul, when at the end when he leaves her in command of the ship, I love how he says like. I advise you to maintain this course and heading. I like how he doesn't, like, he could have made that, like, his final order. He could be like, I'm, I'm leaving you in command, but my final order is you do this. But I love that vote of confidence that he yeah. gives in her when he's like, I advise you. Cause then it's like, oh, wow, like, like, she's in command now. He does, he's not ordering her. He's just advising her. I guess I have to listen to her. I guess she's the captain now. You know, that sends a message to the rest of the crew. And so yeah. I love, like, that, that level of respect. Cause, cause to Paul really had to earn Archer's respect. We see in Broken Bow, he has zero respect for her. And over the course of the season, you know, he, that we see that like that respect is is clearly there. 
in the scene. She came. She comes through in a lot of episodes, and I, I forgot to mention it, but in the episode with Clancy Brown, she does like. Uh, I forget, what was it she did to like ensure that he helped out, like because he was not gonna help them rescue him. When, when he said, "Oh, they're not my responsibility," and yeah. I, I, I think she just like talked tough to him, like, "Oh, well, it, it is now because now those guys think we're on your side, so you have to right. help us." Yeah, she she uh, saved their ass there and then took her took her risk that was very unvulcan like to go like you know under that planet's you know radar and race around and and all that stuff. What what did you think of like the Daniels scene at the at the end when he's when Archer's there in the in the thirty first century? Good cliffhanger. Uh, I like Daniels uh, as a character. His I see that, that you know that's funny. Like when I saw, I had only seen him really seriously the one time, uh, or you know his 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 time in that episode, you know in the previous episode where we really got to see a lot of him. I, I enjoyed his enigmatic thing where he was like, well, you know, if you can still call it Earth, and you know all those kind of things he would say. Hmm. Uh, I see that that's now like that's his <laughs> central character thing is to always like answer yeah. a question with a question. But yeah, I, when, I like when, when Archer is like, didn't Silic kill you? And he's like, yes, in a matter of speaking. It was like, what does that mean? Like, I, I'm of the belief that like, that was like a holographic projection that kind of, it's kind of implied. So I guess like, I don't know, like that projection like had like a life, like maybe that projection went to like Starfleet Academy on Earth or whatever. So like that, like that cover, that alias has been killed as far right. as Daniels is concerned. I, I don't know if that's the case. If Daniels is even his his actual name, who knows? But I do like the actor who plays him. I've always wanted this guy to come back in some of the modern Trek shows. I think if they ever show more of the temporal war, they should definitely, like, bring this guy back. Yeah, it'd be fun. You know, if they embrace that a little bit, the big shared universe, and they, like, you know, every week on the ready room, if they're like, oh, you know, this references these three episodes, and they would actually give a little bit of a push like, maybe you might want to go watch these three episodes and, you know, but they, see... They, they do that. Do they, actually, do they actually show clips and stuff from them? Yeah, sometimes. It depends on the, the subject, but... I guess what I'd say is a bigger push than what they have been doing, you know, where it was, like, built in every week, you'd be like, oh, there's usually, you know, some... Not every week, but... Yeah, like, then... they would do, like, those little, like, montage videos uh, with, like, that lady narrating who'd be, like... I'm trying to think of one. They did one on the changelings in the Dominion. My point War. is, is, is to like actually like try and create a tradition wherein people go and watch them, not just say, "Hey, you might have noticed." Oh, this. they they um, if you follow the social media on the uh, the mm. official Star Trek uh, like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, a lot of times they'll say like. Say Watch there's, these in advance. Say there's like a no, but after after the episode, like say like they show like some trill stuff in Discovery. They might show like here's some trill episodes from Deep Space Nine streaming now on Paramount Plus. There you go. But the Daniel stuff at the end, I agree with you. It's like it's a good cliffhanger, and it was uh, again a thing very uh, evocative of of nine uh, eleven. It looks like Ground Zero. This this right. imagery of like these these skyscrapers and ruins that was uh, that was a very common image. That like any anyone who's yeah, I saw that mentioned uh, somewhere, and and I was like, oh, because I am watching it out of that context now. I'm sure I thought that originally, but I'd forgotten it. And so now I just see it and I'm like, oh, that's a cool effect. It looks like a devastated city, but I don't immediately think of 911. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot of uh a lot of watching this like it really like takes me back to that to that period in time, 2001, 2002, because it was a it was a pretty like crazy time and uh you know, reminds me a lot of you know, a lot of stuff going on in the world now. 
but uh it, it had a it had a huge influence on enterprise i think it is it is ingra- enterprise is very much a product of 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 the aughts of the early aughts of that early 21st century i was worried it was going to be a product in a kind of worse way that you know we'd see oh it will be <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'll see it when i see it then right now um like but then know, it gets better but then it gets better right now like they brought up you know torture uh in the episode with the the, the Nausicaan pirates and enterprise was like stop that they you know bring up vilifying an entire race and enterprise is like stop that yeah so um you know i appreciate that yes. um Right now, they are reacting in a way that I want to see tonight. I, I agree. Strong agree, Dave. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff in here in season one that we, we should we should praise and should point out like, oh, they, they actually have like a lot of good stuff going on here. And Jill's pointing out in the in the live audience in the comments uh, about the, the, the mining colony. And uh, it looks like the miners aren't going to be saved. And that is actually something that I complained about in this episode for years about like, oh, they, they mentioned the... You know, they they come up with like the, these Trek species, like the, the the Paragons here, and they have this matriarchal society, and and Archer is always curious about meeting these people. And then we never actually see the interactions; they're always like off screen. They have like all these cool like first contact encounters off screen. But I'm thinking here, uh, oh, what if those people don't actually die, and that's why we never see them? Because Brandon Braga claims these days, like his plan was to eventually reveal that the future guy, the shadowy future guy that gives orders to the mm-hmm. Sulaban Silic that he is Archer. And I've, I've talked about that before, that that was, mm-hmm. Brandon Breger claims that was like their their big reveal that they would have done eventually had the show gotten more seasons. And I've been skeptical of that because in the season four DVD commentaries, they kind of talk about the temporal Cold War, like, oh, that's over. We're never going to go back to that. But what I, what I think now, rewatching this stuff kind of more uh, thoughtfully is that Oh, I think they were considering uh, that a possibility back in season one. I, I think they actually were thinking of like, maybe maybe this is when we reveal it's Archer. Because the dialogue here, the future guy talking to Silic when they have their little meeting, he does tell him, he says, bring Archer to me, but leave the rest of the ship alone. You know, he never says like anything like dangerous or threatening to the rest of the Enterprise crew. He just says like, bring Archer over here to talk to me. And and maybe that would have been like a cool reveal in like the season two premieres. Like you, you, you premiere it with like Archer face to face with like, old man archer from the future who bosses around the sulabans and and what if he like he never killed those colonists that was all just like a, tr- a trickery like he's he's just trying to like end the mission for some other reason that we don't know about yet and th- that would have been cool if they had gone that uh gone I that think, route i will have to think about this more but i think i'm glad very glad they didn't uh to me i don't want the first sort of enterprise captain's his sort of main early foe to have been future self of him like that's i don't know like i want it to be you know i want these stories to cover other ground and not do the superman versus mm. you know his evil counterpart but then story. then then you then you you clear a lane for like dean stockwell to be like the actual main bad guy and that would that would have been that would have been that i'm uh, i would have been about and, they, and sure. they could have had they could have brought in ron moore to show run all of it and instead of bsg we would have like this badass star trek enterprise but that's that's not that's not the world that we live in so that's that's this weird fantasy parallel timeline but there I, i'm kind of surprised at some of the stuff in season one that i appreciate more like this episode for example shockwave like i i i have more appreciation of it now that, that i think i I've, I've had uh probably at any other point in it's 22 years of existence 
I mean, again, it comes on the heels of a bad I, episode. I, I did really like it when it first aired. I was I was kind of excited about like the going into season two. Um, but there's a lot of other things. I was really excited about season two of the show. Father, I have to uh, again reference. I think this is some one of the cooler actions, you know, uh, sequences that they. There's had a lot in of good Star action Trek. in it. Yeah, they the way that they film it is not you know usually Trek action is a little kind of slow paced, honestly, a little stodgy with the when you have like a phaser battle or something. And here they were filming it a little more Hollywood style, like it was like a commando team and the camera's moving fast and they're running through and they're kind of doing cool tactics. I mean. What is it like? They actually phaser blast a section of the ship just to hit the hallway that the Sulaban are hiding out yeah, in. Yeah, and they I'm have like, that's dope. They have stun grenade, but that's what I think is so good. As like, yeah, the oh, stun if, if you're gonna if you're gonna give them like the the future like play by play, if you're gonna do like the Bill and Ted, you know, go back in time and just get, give you all the the secret information you need. It's like you should be able to just like run through here perfectly on like the first try, you know. So I, I like that. It's like. Right. Uh, of course, that's how it would work. But it, yeah, it was it was it was well realized. I uh, I want to give a special uh, compliment to uh, Joel, who uh, b- uh, per your future Archer theory, uh, he thinks that future Archer is just trying to make water polo a bigger thing. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we don't know. I don't know what Brandon Braga's idea, or if he ever thought of one of like what exactly Archer is trying to do. But I can see now, like looking back, I can see like, oh, future guy actually like he didn't actually you know hurt anyone or kill anyone or anything. So um, I-, I could kind of see how it could have like made sense that like. If he felt like he did a lot of sinister stuff and, you know, he was like, oh, take his eyes out or whatever. But he, he, he was, all he was removing from Silic was just like the genetic modification. So he never actually like, does any like physical harm You could have made the case for me, but I'll, I'll have to see how things play out. I know uh, this, uh, it may not, I may not be wild about what they do, but uh, I, I have to, I'd have to be convinced on the Archer topic. I mean, they they wrap up their temporal cold war. They just, they just never say who Silic's boss was. It was just like some some dude he took orders from. But uh, I, and it's not necessarily a, a pressing question that I need answered. But if any future story wants to reveal who the future guy is, you know, I'm sure Terry Metalis has an idea. I'm sure that's something he would do if if they they gave him a show. Uh, or uh, it seems like you know uh, that kind of idea. But I, I think someone might actually get around to it at some point. But it's seems not like that's not a high priority. You could sneak into a lower decks episode too. Uh, you know, the last desperate gasp of whoever this guy is after the, t- after he lost the temporal cold war. Yeah, you, I mean, if, I think if you were gonna do it on Lower Decks, you'd have to like play it as a joke. Yeah, they, they have serious stuff on there. Yeah, but I don't know. You wouldn't bring in future guys like a serious thing. It's like they, like if they were gonna do something serious, you take something. It's like you do an inversion. You take something that's stupid in the rest like, of Star Trek, and then like the Packlids. Yeah, and then treat them seriously like a big threat. So I think I, I think they would have to do it. that, but. Uh, I think that I think that'd be the that'd be the lower decks way to to go about it. But uh, just just some thoughts on like the season overall. Now that we're at the end of season one, I, I talked a lot about how uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga were just like they they really could have used that extra year uh, between Voyager and Enterprise, and how you know if they if they could have built up a writers room, built up a a show bible, like just planned the writing a bit more. I think that would have really helped them because yeah, it's, they were so hands-on in the season. There was a seven episode gap that Dave and I talked about a lot like last week. That was the week that of the three weeks we discussed season one. I think the, the middle week was the one text rec number 171. That was the one that we enjoyed season one of enterprise the most. And that's when, when Rick and Branham were like the least, uh, least hands-on, but I don't, I don't totally blame them because they're the sole writers on, Broken Bow and Shockwave on the premiere and the season finale, and uh, th- those are two of my favorites in the oh, entire they, season. They had hands in other episodes I liked in this yeah. in this season too. 
Um, but yes, there's. It seems like there was. There's some elements that are a little bit just beyond their capacity. And they were under an extraordinary amount of pressure, and the ratings were going down, down, down. And the people who had been very, very protecting and loving and nurturing of Star Trek in the Paramount corporate structure were getting like moved around, and instead they were like having to answer to the whims of the the UPN network. It wasn't particularly like friendly to them, and uh, and yeah, so I, I don't I don't envy the situation they were in, but uh, it was they 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 uh, they definitely did not have it easy, and there's a lot of enterprise that works uh, really well, and I, I just wish that they they could have uh, they could have had that that help in the on the writing side. Uh, you know, for my part, the thing that I'm comparing it to mentally is the first season of Voyager, another you know the the other show I think yeah. maybe aside from Discovery now that that probably gets the most critiques. And um, I feel like for me, uh, I overall, I'm going to say I like the Enterprise first season better, but they actually have somewhat similar hit miss ratios to me. I think it's just the low, the, the Voyager that lows were lower, <laughs> um, and um, uh, but they they have similar highs. And uh, I, I have had a really good time with this season. I, you know, I'll say this, even even the episodes I wasn't big on, I've, I'm still enjoying watching these characters and seeing new Trek and seeing, you know, I told you that I love I loved all of the continuity, interconnectivity that, that's part and parcel of this show. It, it makes it feel a little bit more real to me. Uh, so, so yeah, I've, I've been having a good time with it. Well, come back next week. We don't, we don't have... Any more Star Trek Enterprise Season 1 to talk about? We'll get to Season 2 eventually, but uh, next week Dave and I are actually going to be talking about a different show that's not even Star Trek. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Mirror Season 4, Episode 1, USS Callister, directed by Toby Haynes, who you might recall is the uh, main director on Andor. He's recently been recruited by Paramount to work on a possible... 14th Star Trek film, or maybe it'll be the 15th. They said there, there's multiple movies they're working on. Who knows if any of them will get made, but uh, that's that's the big uh, Star Trek episode of Black Mirror, and I think that'll be a, that'll be a fun one to, to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Talk about some uh, a Trek that breaks the rules, and like Galaxy Quest, which we watched recently, um, you know... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dave and I Dave and I went and saw Galaxy Quest at like a screening of it that yeah, was here with in Rachel. town. With Rachel. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was very fun. Uh, Black Mirror has a far, known for a much darker heart than, um, uh, than Galaxy Quest has. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to talk about. And, uh, yeah, people, people should go revisit that episode. Uh, do you want to talk about Galaxy Quest too? Like, why, why are we bringing that? We could do that. We do that like the week at week after talking about USS Callister. We can, I think I called it McAllister a second ago, but I guess it's just Callister. I'm looking at my notes. Wait, we could, we could, we could talk about Galaxy Quest after that, I guess. Sure. The unofficial, the, 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 the the movie that's so beloved by Trekkies that it's kind of accepted (laughs) almost into the canon practically. So if, if y'all want to, y'all want us to do that, how about that? If, if you want us to talk about Galaxy Quest, then come listen to us talk about USS Callister next week and tell us that you want, you want to hear us talk about Galaxy Quest because we're not going to do it unless people ask for it. Yeah, get, uh, by grab Thar's hammer, you gotta let us know. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that that should be fun. And uh, of course, we'll have plenty of Star Trek to talk about later in the year with the final season of Discovery, the return of Prodigy on its new home, Netflix, which is where you can watch Black Mirror, by the way, if people need to go watch uh, the USS Callister episode. 
And um, eventually we'll have a Section 31 movie and Strange New World Season 3 and a Starfleet Academy show and all kinds of stuff in the future. And we'll get around to Enterprise Season 2 probably later this year. Um, yes. we'll just, it just depends on the new show programming and when things come out. Right on. Until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.